glory go and reign with him through endless days because he loved me so he loved me so morning. You ever walked in on an uncomfortable situation? You ever walk into a room and you just feel like they were talking about you? Maybe had an awkward situation play out. Kind of funny, but my daughter and wife were telling me not long ago about an experience when they were shopping for clothes and my daughter walks out of the dressing room to show my wife what she had tried on to get her approval. 30 seconds tops, was she out of the dressing room? She turns to go back in, and somebody else had already gone in and set up shop. I mean, the same dressing room. It had only been like 30 seconds. Talk about an awkward situation to walk in on. I read a story the other day about a, a young man who walks in to a room and finds a man lying in the floor unclothed, drunk, and passed out. Sounds like a story you might hear coming from a college dormitory, but that wasn't the case at all. Young man walks in, finds a man lying in the floor, naked, drunk, passed out, and he goes out and he tells two other guys about the situation. I'll come back to that story. Let me read for just a few moments from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Starting in verse 4, it reads, Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Very popular passage, no doubt. We hear this, this verse read at weddings. We call it the love chapter. But what I want to do this morning for the sake of our one word series is zero in on, on verse uh, 7 where it reads, bears all things. Most translations use the word bear or beareth. The NIV actually states, always protects. The Greek word here is stego, and it means just that. It means to protect or to cover. It refers to fending off something that threatens, to bear up or hold up against. You see, love protects. That's what it does. It doesn't nitpick. It doesn't critique. It doesn't stab other people in the back. It doesn't slander. It doesn't gossip. Love always protects. Always. That's what love does. 
That's why we get a little uncomfortable when we're in a social setting with a group of people and there's a husband demeaning his wife in front of everyone. We get uncomfortable, even angry sometimes with that because that's not what love does. That's not what love's supposed to do. Or when we're in a social gathering with, with brothers or sisters in Christ and, and we hear one putting down or gossiping or slandering uh, another brother or sister. That's not how love acts. That's not what love does, especially when it comes to the church. And I'm reminded of horror stories from preacher friends of mine, tales from the dark side of the pew, if you will. Like a, a lady that comes forward one Sunday morning asking for the prayers of the church family because she had been involved in an affair. And she has told her husband they have decided they're going to work on their marriage. She is remorseful. She is repentant. She has repented to God. And now she is coming forward confessing her sin to the church as she is instructed to do in the Bible. And the next day at work, a, a sister in Christ gossips and slanders her to any co-worker that will listen. Or the gentleman that walks into church covered in tattoos looking for something to fill the God-shaped hole in his heart. And an usher tells him, you might be more comfortable at the church across town. Or what about the uh, visitor that comes to church one Sunday and he or she is unwelcome because of the color of her skin? Hopefully these stories horrify you. They should. But the reason they should horrify you is because they're not loving. They're not stories of love. Love protects. Love covers. It always does. And if it doesn't, then something is wrong, especially among Christians, right? We should be leaders in love. There's a situation that we read about in the Bible where a scribe asks this question. He says, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus says, the foremost is here, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is like it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It was also Jesus who said, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so, very plainly, we see Jesus set forth, No love, no Jesus. No discipleship. You see, we cannot call ourselves Christians if we're not identified by love. We cannot call ourselves a church of Christ if we are not saturated with love, if we're not defined by the love of Christ. Everything we are and everything we do should be predicated upon love. There are other things that are important, but if you don't get this right, nothing else matters, and everything else is less important. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul lays it out here that if you are spirit-filled and spirit-led, you're going to produce certain things in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As I've said before, this is not a random list of things that Paul is setting forth. There is a sequence here. There's a reason why Paul lists love first, because love has to come first. 
and really everything listed after love there as part of the fruit of the Spirit, they're all just manifestations of love. You can't truly be joyful without love. You can't truly have self-control or faithfulness. You can't be kind and good and gentle and all, of th- all those things if you don't have love first. All those other things are really defined by love, aren't they? And so there's very good reason why Paul sets forth love very first. Because it's foremost. It has to come first. And notice verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The reason why he says that is because love doesn't do that. Love doesn't challenge one another. Love doesn't envy one another. Love doesn't doesn't become boastful. If you're led by the Spirit, you won't do those things. You'll have love filling your heart, producing the things that we're talking about. And through it all, I think you can read between the lines here, Paul is saying that love protects, it covers. And if it's not a love that protects among us, how is it going to be a love that protects outside these walls, right? Let me ask you this morning, how many historians do we have here? we have anybody who likes history, American history, anybody that likes world history? How about Civil War, anybody, a Civil War buff, right? Let me ask you this. How many sin historians do we have this morning? How many of you are really good at recalling the sin history of just about anyone around you? And you can bring it up at the drop of a hat. You get in an argument with your spouse. You drag up stuff from 10 years ago that they did, and you bring it to their attention. We do that within the church, unfortunately. We have a lot of sin historians in the church. We have a lot of sin buffs in the church. People who can recall the sins of another individual at the drop of a hat. And what does Paul say about love in his description in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? He says that it does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does it? Never. Ever does it do that. Ever. It doesn't. Because love always seeks the highest good of others. At least the highest form of love does. The love that we read about in the Bible. For those of us who sin, we need someone who says, I'm not going anywhere. All of us sitting in the auditorium this morning all have sinned. And because of that, we need people around us, namely brothers and sisters in Christ that say, I'm not going anywhere. You can't beat me away with a stick. I'm here for you. No matter what happens, I've got your back. Because that's what love does. Love love protects. It covers. They they need to see that people care about them. And we may have people that are visiting this morning or people that watch the television program that get curious and want to come here and and be a part of what we're doing here, want to see what we're doing here. And they need to see people who are walking in love. They need to see brothers and sisters in Christ who get it right in here. Because if there's one thing that you've noticed in the world around us, is it doesn't have the first clue about love. It doesn't have the slightest idea about what love is. All that stuff you hear Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber singing about, they don't know what love is. The Beatles saying all you need is love, but it isn't the same love that Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is a cheap imitation, and it comes nowhere near close to the love that we should be exhibiting to one another, a love that protects I need to finish my story. So this guy walks into a very uncomfortable situation. 
I was reading this story a few weeks ago. He walks in and he sees this man lying in the floor, naked, drunk, and passed out. And you know what he does? He goes out and he tells two other guys, and you know what they do? Sure you do. You've read the story. Genesis chapter 9. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. I read this story a few weeks ago, and I read about Noah's son seeing his, father's, seeing his nakedness and, and, and telling his two brothers about it. And then I read the reaction of Shem and Japheth, and, and it's exactly what we're talking about this morning, isn't it? The two men take a garment, they place it on their shoulders, they walk backward into the room, covering their face so that they don't see their father in his shame, and they throw the garment over him, and they leave. Because that's what love does. It protects. Noah made a grave error. He sinned. And rather than running and telling everybody and gossiping about it and slandering their father and, and calling in hundreds of people to come and look at their father, you know, in this day and age, somebody would probably take a picture of it and post it on social media. But that's not what these two boys did. These two boys protected their father. Because that's what love does. It protects. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servants. We don't have time to get into all of the ins and outs or theories as to what Ham actually did to warrant a curse. I don't want to get into all of that this morning. All I want to point you to is the fact that the actions of Shem and Japheth, two men, illustrate for us a love that covers. What story do you have of a love that covers? All of us probably have a story or two that we could tell from our own personal lives of a love that covers. I have one that I want to share with you this morning. And here it is. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. 
And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. After coming, Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and he kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and, and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. That was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Joseph bought a linen cloth and took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. And perhaps the greatest verse in the Bible, he's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. That's my story. That's your story. That's our story. We all share in this story and did you notice it's a love that protects? It's a story about a love that covers. A love that covers over sin. Not covers up sin, but covers over sin. It is the greatest story ever told. Ever. And it's a story that we should always be living out. Always. God loves you, and God's love protects. How do I know this? Well, I read about it in the Bible, right? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. God's love is a protecting love. He doesn't write your sins in the sky for everyone to see so that they can mock or ridicule you or gossip or slander about you. When Jesus was walking this earth, he didn't go up to his disciples or his apostles and say, well, you ought to heard what this guy was telling me. Man, this guy's got a lot of skeletons in his closet. Because love doesn't do that. Love protects. Love covers. Always. Always. God doesn't, God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. And we shouldn't do that either. The word fervent 
in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 means strained or stretched. It refers to outstretching in the sense of being consistent. It's used in reference of a horse in full gallop with its muscles taut and bulging. It's describing an intense and sustained effort like a runner stretching out to snap the tape. The Christians Peter is addressing were facing difficulties both from without and within. And perhaps there was some infighting and backbiting going on. And Peter is saying, look, I know you're hurting. I know it's difficult right now, but remember that love is the glue that holds us all together. It is the tie that binds. Peter points to God's love covering a multitude of sins as an example of how we are to love each other. And maybe to you that sounds too much like pie in the sky or too good to be true kind of stuff. People cause problems, I realize. People are rude. They're insensitive. People are hateful. They're mean. They're malicious. They're backstabbers. They slander. They gossip. They're hypocrites. I understand. I hear you. But at the end of the day, that should not affect our demeanor and how we are to be as children of God. That's not what controls us. What controls us is Jesus Christ. Paul stated it like this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Underline that last part or highlight that last part in your Bible, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Why do you do this? Because God's done it for you, and you didn't deserve it. That was your cross that Jesus hung on. Never forget that. You're responsible for his death. Never forget that. But God's love covers even when you don't deserve it. Because that's how love operates when it comes from the Father. He loves you even when you're extremely unlovable. Here's what Paul wrote. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The question I pose to you this morning is, does the love of Christ control you? And if you're only living for yourself, then the answer to that question is a resounding no. Does the love of Christ control you? If you are exposing the sins of others, if you're a sin historian, then the answer to that question is a resounding no. Does the love of Christ control you? If you're willing to throw your fellow man under the bus talk behind his back, kick him when he's down, shoot him when he's wounded, then the answer is a resounding no. You cannot be someone who harbors bitterness and hatred and have the love of Christ control you. The love of Christ controls us, and therefore we operate differently from the world around us. Something we're going to talk about when we talk about forgiveness in this series. When the love of Christ controls you, you do things differently than the world around you. It's not the love that you see on the soap operas or in Hollywood or that you hear about on the radio. It's a love that says, I'm here and I'm not leaving. I'm sticking with you through thick or thin. You couldn't beat me away with a stick. And the reason why I operate that way is because I understand the love that God had for me. That he would send his son even when I'm the most unlovable. I think I've told you before about 
the great admiration that I had for my grandfather. Because my home life wasn't ideal, I spent a lot of time at my grandfather's house. He was a mentor, someone I looked up to, my best friend, all of those, those superlatives that you could t- uh, say about someone that you were near and dear to. I loved my grandfather with everything that I had. My grandmother, not so much. And I'm sorry to say that. That's not trying to be funny or cruel or anything. It's just we did not have a good relationship. A a, a grandson should love his grandmother and grandfather. But my grandmother was mentally unstable. She had had a stroke many years prior to me being born, and that probably affected her mental state. I could tell you horror stories about staying with my grandfather and things that she pulled that were just scary, that were uncalled for, obviously, but things that, that I don't think she could ever have followed through on because this stroke left her paralyzed on one side of her body. So it wasn't like that she was going to do a lot of damage, but she made a lot of threats. I mean, to put it you know, very bluntly, she was crazy. And so I didn't have the relationship with her that I did with my grandfather. And part of the, part of the problem I had was resentment towards my grandmother because she didn't do anything. My grandfather did all the cooking, he did all the cleaning, he mowed the yard, trimmed the hedges, everything that needed to be done, he did. She wasn't totally incapacitated, she could do some things, but he did everything for her, and I never so much as once heard him complain or even mumble to himself. He did it all for many, many years, and I resented my grandmother for that, and I thought to myself, A few times as I got older and I became a teenager, why do you stay here? Why do you stick around? Now I know why. Because of love. That's what love does. It protects. It covers. He understood that she wasn't the same person that he married. But you don't just cut and run. Because love is not an emotional feeling, it's not sentimentality, it's not some emotional high, it's not like the flu, you catch it one day and then you get rid of it the next. You know, these people that say, well, I just fell out of love with him. No, you didn't. Then you don't know what love is. You'll fall in and out of it. This idea, well, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, that's not love. Because if you only love somebody, if they love you back, then you don't know what love is. And if you have these old butterflies in your stomach, it's probably indigestion. Pop a Tums and get it over it. Because that's not what love is. Love is not a feeling. Love is who you are. It's who my grandfather was. It defined him. He didn't just talk about love. He did love. He expressed it. And no matter how crazy my grandmother was, she couldn't beat him away with a stick. He wasn't going anywhere. We need people like that in our lives. And all of you have at least one person like that in your life. You serve a God who says, I'm not going anywhere. You have a risen Savior who says, I'm here. And you can turn your back on me, and I'll love you all the way to hell. But you can't beat me away with a stick. And aren't you thankful for that?
And if a heavenly father can do that to a people who can be very unloving at times and people who have messed up royally, then certainly we can be that to other people, especially our own, right? Remember what Paul said. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. The greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Love should define us. It should motivate us. And it should be something that we as Christians are world famous for. Remember that the next time you interact with someone in person or on social media. Remember that. Remember what you're supposed to be about and what you're to be defined by. And remember who is supposed to be controlling you. Remember that. And if we can help you this morning, if you need to answer the invitation, if you need to study the Bible, if you want to uh, have the prayers and support of this church family, if you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, let's do that this morning. Somebody loves you, and he wants what's best for you. Come now as we stand and as we sing. Mm-hmm.